0: Uh, Mr. Vice Chair, I believe we are ready to go as we
1: will be.
2: Outstanding. Um, so we're not required to have a quorum on these mid-month calls, correct? Not making a okay. decision? Yeah. Awesome.
0: No, no, quorum is not required. It's just a study session. So it's just whoever can attend is, is welcome to attend.
2: Very good. And I see that Prasanth has joined us just now.
3: Okay. Yeah any version of it at least. So uh, Mr. Vice Chair, I would be willing to do the preamble thing if you want and- uh, Kyle, would you please? No problem. Uh, Good morning. Welcome to the July 13th, 2022 Planning Commission Mid-Month Meeting. My name is Kyle Covey. I'll be helping facilitate the Zoom video portion of the meeting. Uh, Joining me here in the Ad Astra conference room is Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director. We're going to work alongside Vice Chair uh, Rexroth, who's on remote video to facilitate the meeting proceedings. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the city's YouTube channel uh, and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself uh, during the meeting when you're not speaking. Um, The chat function for this meeting will be disabled. All chats will go directly to me. I would recommend everybody keep their video on during the meeting. Uh, just given the format that we have here, typically we would ask to turn it off if you are not participating in the meeting. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual individual videos off to minimize distractions. So please don't be a distraction to your fellow planning commissioners. Um, uh, if you can, please remember to state your name and title each time you speak. Um, we don't have public comments and we're not making any motions. Uh, So yeah, just uh, wanna make sure to remind everybody who's on remote video uh, to please mute yourself if you're not speaking, and then now turn the meeting back over to the vice chair. Thank you, Kyle. Good morning, everyone,
2: and welcome to uh, the uh, mid-month meeting for the Planning Commission. Um, The purpose of this meeting largely is um, education. It's about, picking topics um, and taking deeper dives into those subjects um, to help us gain information, knowledge, um, leverage the experience that um, exists across this group of really well-rounded experts, both from the staff perspective, but also from the commissioners who oftentimes have seen subjects in and around um, these topics we're discussing. So opportunity to share and to learn. I think everyone knows, but it's just worth saying that um, this is a public meeting and it's a meeting of the commission um, um, at large. And, and as such, we are subject to um, uh, all the rules around how we handle topics. So in particular, we want to be careful about discussions of items, issues that are in front of us, that are coming in front of us or may not yet be closed. Um, I know that uh, Kyle and Jeff and team um, have signed up to help us um, stay out of the weeds on that. So, thank you very much for that, team. Appreciate you. Um, and with that, I, I guess I'd let, if there are no questions, I'd uh, turn it back over to staff um, so we can get started talking about this most topics.
0: I should be happy to Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Give us one second to get the technology to agree with us.
2: Okay, while you're doing that, let me take a moment to uh, welcome Prasanth Duver um, to the call this morning. Um, I had a chance to meet with Prasanth um, a week or so ago. Uh, Prasanth, um, I, I don't believe it's been announced at this point, but I believe Prasanth will be. Um, joining the uh, Planning Commission as a County Commission appointee um, at our next meeting. Prasantha, are you uh, are you out there? Are you are you hearing me?
4: Yeah, thank you, Gary. I'm here. Welcome. Glad you're here. Thank you. Not with my friend this morning. I can get a cold up on here. I'll have less. That's okay. As long as we can get it out because devices and I are apparently not gonna be friends. You want me to get a call up? Yeah, if you can okay if you can beat me to it. One of us is gonna have to. I'm not sure. I don't remember where it was at. It's
0: not a mid-month meeting until we have all the technology go sideways, right? So we're, we're
2: doing good. <laughs> is that a classic feature of the mid-month meeting?
0: Uh it, it did tend to be the hallmark because it was right after the city commission meeting. So the room wasn't always in the in the right order or something wasn't in the right spot and it always Always had that feel to it. Today, apparently the the internet and I are
5: not remotely in agreement. Let's see.
6: How late did the city commission go? I fell asleep.
0: <laughs> I believe it ended right at, right at close to eleven, if I remember okay. correctly.
1: Eleven was <laughs> two. <1102. laughs> lightweights.
5: Okay. They're all lightweights. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think I'm. Okay. Well, there's a few moments where I think I can share the screen. I will share this real quick. It's a rare instance on Zoom where I I don't have to ask if you can see my screen because I can actually see
0: it on the other screen that I'm sitting next to So it works out quite well. So um, so good morning, commissioners. Again, Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services. As you all asked for, this is just kind of a refresher and a reminder about a couple of different things that show up in the plan, which are the growth tiers and how they came to be and also a little information towards the state statute that relates to annexation. So we'll kind of go through those, gonna save a a good portion of time for questions. I think many of the commissioners that are joining us um, were not here during Plan 2040's um, kind of the, the meetings and the processes to get that started. So this might be a little bit of new information for everybody. So one of the really big things to kind of note is when the process started, there was a lot of work around public input and it kept going on throughout the entire plan. And one of the major things that we did was called an ETC survey. Um, And the survey was a a statistically significant survey. And when it went through the findings, 91% of households rated managing future growth as very important or somewhat important. That was the fourth highest scoring item in the list. Um, There was also one of the most important statements in the community vision statement was about that. But that also kind of manifested and showed up in the issue action report that we did. And the Planning Commission adopted that in 2015. And the City and the County commissions also adopted it too. And that set the roadmap for the way that we would look at the revising process and go through the motions on that one. And one of those included not just strong and stable downtown, but protection of natural resources, managing future growth, and encouraging infill development and increasing height and density in appropriate locations. So there was a lot of that discussion that went into that and that's kind of where
4: the growth tiers started to take their root in ways of how we could approach that from a data driven <laughs> standpoint. So the growth tiers look like this on the map.
0: So tier 1 is the light blue area. That is the city limits of Lawrence at the point time when the growth tiers were adopted. So those were the inside of the city limits Tier two is the green area around the city limits, and that is the area that is prime for development or assuming that it's programmed for development. One second. Apologies, all of the office is loading up, so we're getting a lot of noise going around. <laughs> um, tier two is the area that is, con- is considered for development during the plan's time horizon, which was due 2040. The orange area is the area that surrounds Lawrence is the urban growth area. And that was also based on Horizon 2020's urban growth area, but curtailed for a couple of different factors. One was in the Northeast based on the Northeast sector plan and its guidance that was provided in there. And also flood waves were removed as part of that. So you can see kind of below Lawrence, it looks like you can kind of see the, the void of a river that is the Wakarusa floodplain, excuse me, flood away that has been removed as part of that.
2: Hey Jeff, just a quick question. As I look at um, that map, um, how does how does the city and the county um, approach planning in, let's say, the green area, right? Do they do they does M and O already have plans for infrastructure expansion that are in tentative design? Um, have, have, have we made investments to understand? Um, uh, where sewer is going to go, where roads is going to go, that type of thing, or is it just this is the, the general direction that we think we want to go?
0: There are, there are plans in the area. I'll kind of go into some of the more nuanced detail to it, but there are two plans that the city municipal services and operations department has. One is for wastewater and one is for water provision in those areas, and it kind of extends beyond the green areas. The plans actually go quite a bit ways out of that just to be ready and prepared as part of that. So Infrastructure planning has gone on out there, and you know streets and roads and parks will follow along and kind of in that line with it. But that really, that in-ground infrastructure is kind of sketched out and kind of set and ready in a in a planning document that MSO has.
4: Gotcha. thank you. And
0: so what we started to do with the tiers when we kind of started to approach that data-driven analysis was we looked at kind of that population. So what do we have currently? What is that average annual growth rate? What is that existing implant plant density that we have? And so when we looked at the annual average growth rate, we went back 20 years and took a look at numbers <clears throat> and kind of you know, knowing that we saw some things in the 90s and the 80s that were a bit, um, they weren't going to replicate again. We weren't going to see growth in the higher eight to nine percent ranges over years. That was not a common thing we didn't see before. We didn't see it afterwards on that one. So the average annual growth rate we saw was about 1% per year. So if you want to put that in terms of people, we add about a thousand people per year for the city of Morris. It's a good way to kind of round that number out. And so we looked at the existing and planned densities that are part of the sector plans that, that are adopted by the planning commission, the county commission, and the city commission. So we looked to see what those densities would be and how they would move around. And then we kind of looked at what we, you know, those next questions, and Commissioner Restro set me up perfectly for this slide, which was uh, unintended but wonderfully done, is um, how much can we get out there, and where can it be at, where can we get that service to, And and then what can we actually serve? What are the plans in MSO and Parks and Recreation and those guiding that direction? So that's where that initial starts with. And so when we started to have the conversations around population, we started to have the conversations about the infrastructure, we looked at a couple of things. We looked and said, okay, exactly that. Where can utilities serve? Where can they reasonably get lines to? And where can they accommodate today? If they need to do a big project, water towers, pressure zones, conveyance corridors, what's going to be the future of those and what are those going to look like? So we looked at what utility services can be. The other one we looked at was what is within the radius of the fire protection? So, where can they get to within within six minutes of a call coming in reasonably? And so, we looked at that based on, on drive times, the streets, kind to of find out where they were at, you know, how fast could a fire truck moving get to them? That's part of that component. And of course, that leads into us having a conversation about, well, it, a lot of this won't have streets, so how do we know where that's going to be at? So we work with then public works, but then later municipal services and operations to look at what streets do we need, what level do we need to be at, arterials, collectors, local streets. And then we looked at a couple of other factors. I mentioned earlier the five the sector plans. Of the sector plans that go around the city, five of them are, are fundamentally around the city. So you have Northeast, K-10 and Farmers Turnpike, West of K-10, Vice Southern. And I'm forgetting one off the top of my head, which is not surprising after a meeting. <laughs> which ones did you say? <laughs>
3: <laughs> that might let you know where I
4: am. <laughs> There's a fifth one out there. It slipped in my mind at the moment. Revised Southern. <laughs> and Oh, was 645.
0: I had it, but at 730, not so much. So I'll, just, I'll leave it at that. There are the, the ring of plans that go around the city at r five of them. Um, And we also looked at the urban growth area for Horizon 2020 and asked kind of of those fundamental questions is, do we think ultimately Lawrence will get to this point? Not necessarily in time of plan 2040, but in that growth area, do we think that's a reasonable place for growth to occur? And so we set the parameters out for it. We then just made those general assumptions I kind of alluded to. We assumed a 1% population growth rate, which is a little higher than what we would normally see. 0.94% is the growth rate if you look at it in that. But for kind of just assuming a little bit of a cushion in there, we did a 1%. We asked the model to go through and say, look, we've already made this comment, and excuse me, we've already made the kind of uh, caveat that we want to do infill development. Prioritizing infill development was a key point the steering committee had asked for as part of the discussions. So let's prioritize infill development first. And then model, when you run out of land inside the city, assume a contiguous growth pattern. So you couldn't, you had to be right adjacent to the city limits so that it follows the policies inside of Plan 2040. And what we also told it to do is we don't know any better. So assume the existing future land uses and their densities are what we're going to use. So for planning commissioners, you'll know, RN32 is a maximum of 32 dwelling units per acre. So we had it assume that we'd get close to 32 units per acre. Uh, we also told that there are pieces of land where you're going to need to deduct things for rights of way and easements and stuff. So there is a 20 percent assumed deduction in land uses at scales. And so what it does is it looks at an acre, subtracts 20 percent, assumes that's for rights of way, access roads, easements, drainage ways, things that you wouldn't necessarily want to be building on. And then just make that deduction across the board. And that's how the model goes through to kind of process where it wants to go for population. People don't want to usually live in Clinton Lake. And the first iteration of the model had a lot of people living in Clinton Lake. So houseboats suddenly became a thing when we ran the model the first time through. We had to get that fixed. And so the model really did was it pushed through two things. It pushed through a population side of it. And then we asked it to push through a growth side. Where do you think that growth will occur in time? And then what when do we think that'll look like?
2: And so when we had the yep. model, was, yeah. Sorry, there's another question. There's, I love this uh, information. Um, the 1% growth rate, um, or the 0.94, um, how, how, what period of time does that number come from? Is that this last year? Is that over 10 years, 20 years?
4: It,
0: it was over, at that point in time, it would have been going back through 2007 because we would have used about 10 years worth of data to, uh, to get a, a running start at it before we had the model progress.
2: Okay, very good. Thank you.
0: I think it may have been 20, it may have been 2006, actually, because that may have been when the first iteration of the run came through. So it was it was 10 years worth of back data to get us to that
2: point. It's historical data. It's, it's, it's a, okay, that's very good. Thank you.
0: And so the model, when it starts to push through, you'll kind of see it here in a second when it moves through the land use components of it. But again, those are the different tiers that we've asked the model to show. And so tier one... <laughs> is all within the city of Lawrence because the plan and the steering committee and the conversations the planning commission and city and county commissions had were you know wanting to prioritize that infill development save the save the um, or excuse me uh, maximize the infrastructure costs to save that development from going outward. so to, to in, you know use the infrastructure and the expenditures we already had to their fullest before moving on uh, but also then make sure that we had rural areas and and that uh that sense of what made Douglas County unique, the agricultural the rural areas preserved and kept and, and use that very judiciously as it moves on.
2: One more question for you, Jeff. Sorry, I, I, I want to make sure I following the data. So okay. yeah, so one uh, percent, just use a round number um, and just again, just using just kind of rough round numbers that suggests a thousand people a year in growth. Is that right? Just Correct. generally just rough general numbers. Um, how should we think about that thousand people in terms of households that might you know, help us convert that 1% number into the number of lots, the number of homes, the number of apartment structures that would be needed um, each year?
0: It, that's a that's a great question and it's a very tough one to answer because it, it you make a generalized assumption in something like this that you have a standard household size of 2.23 people per household. That was the number the Census Bureau gave us as the best the best acclimated number to use. Uh, I think we all know there are individuals that are you know one-person households and there's you know four five upwards and there's a range of households that take different sizes. So we, when we did this, we just went with the census numbers of an average household is 2.23 people. Um, To kind of, I think you all have heard me say this before, but I'll I'll definitely always repeat it. If you were gonna match building permits to population growth at a one-to-one scale for every thousand people we would add to the city, we would need to do 400 building permits per year to just have a one-to-one ratio. For the last eight to ten years, the city's been doing about 140 to 150 building permits per year. So if you schedule that out over eight years, you can see that that, that, <clears throat> that <throat> differential between those two numbers moving forward. The, the key to keep in mind when you have a discussion about um platting and subdivisions and, and those kind of things is, you know, and for the for the commission's knowledge, by the time you see it, they've been in existence for a, a, a while. They've they've not been, they're not instantaneous. They take a long time to get even to a plating. Uh, when they come to you but after they leave you they still have steps to go and they're probably still about two years away from actually being able to put a shovel in the ground and turn the dirt over with a plant so plants you see in 2020 would just now be coming online this year big, big feeling. Um, and that can that's that's a pretty quick turnaround by truth by the time you account for Infrastructure, you know, getting the right things from the, the banks and everything in place to go forward with that, getting the escrows in place. So it's it's some can move faster, some can move slower. But two years from the time that you see a plat move through to building permits, about normal. Wow.
5: So, Jeff, before we go on, yeah, Jim Carpenter, um, that four hundred building permits you just mentioned is that. That's a real fuzzy number, isn't it? Because your 400 is single-family households. We're not talking about 400 building permits for an apartment complex.
0: No, and, and apartment complexes are, they oscillate very wildly. And you will have a year where you'll do 300 units, and then a year where you will do no units. And that's a very common trend you see in the market. I, Off the top of my head, I can't tell you the last time we've been at a large apartment. I think it was in 21
5: I just want to make sure we don't get that 400 per year stuck in our head because it's <laughs> there's so many variables Yeah, in you could provide the same amount of housing with more or fewer building permits. Each year.
0: If you want to just go on, on a unit conversation, an entire apartment complex could do 400 units. But the key is going to be is that the right price point, the right, right. aspect of the market? So the key with it is always going to be is are you providing the right uh, I will say amenity, but that's the one that comes to mind that people are looking for. Are people looking for a zero access house or available on that one? Do people want a larger or a smaller house? So there needs to be diversity in a Price and diversity and location and amenities in the market. And that's the, that's the key that I think we see with this, with the code is RS7 will produce a very certain housing product because by the time you do land as cost assumptions and development assumptions, there's always, there's a baseline number in there. So.
5: And when it comes to apartments, then we bring in the other studies about how much inventory do we already have existing that can absorb some of this new growth. Yep yep got that one too see yes I I, we got it
0: all kinds of numbers today's going to be a statistics day so i apologize to the commission for those who don't like math um uh, I, I may go into full for a full math mode a little while but you know, so <laughs> tier two is all about where we think lawrence could reasonably grow based on population and based on infrastructure during the plan 2040 so its lifespan is in its title. We think it's, it's good through 2040s where we kind of charted it out and anticipated it. And then, so to get to that area, we started to apply a series of factors to it. We kind of talked about the assumptions and the factors, but just to kind of start off with the red line you see on the map here is Horizon 2020's urban growth area. So that's what we use as kind of that baseline parameter to kind of say, this is the maximum scope we suspect. And then we started applying the different things that people expect from... From both you know, development, but also from the city. So we looked at where the sewer system could reasonably accomplish and cover the area. So these are the codes of the drainage bases, the, the different ways. And uh, with the sewer systems, not a surprise when I say this, we would like it to be gravity fed and roll downhill. Water only goes in one direction typically. So Wakarusa treatment plant and the treatment plant along the Cal River are kind of the destinations for that. So we looked at where is gravity taking that water to for the most part then we asked mso a question about where can you serve so what you have in the ground today what can you reasonably get to without you know requiring a lot of infrastructure development so things you just plug into the system for lack of a better description which is that green area that you see there then we asked them what are some areas that you can unlock with some some minor developments so not like a a big thing coming online like a water tower but you know Small things, uh, pump stations, uh, interceptors, things like that would do it. That's what you can kind of see in that orange area that's in the the Northwest portion of Lawrence. That's the area that could serve with minor improvements.
2: Jeff, is this considering both accessibility as well as capacity?
3: It is. Okay, thanks.
0: And then the red area was places we can get to, it's just going to be expensive. This is the way that MSO like to phrase that. We, could, we can get lines out there, we can do these kind of things, but they're gonna require some, some large infrastructure investment, interceptors, water pressure zones, which is to make sure that when you turn the tap on and the fire hydrants are open, the right flow comes out of them to put out fires and then you know uh, run dishwashers. So it's not that we couldn't get there, it's just that that would be, uh, it could take us a while just on cost. It could be an expensive project to get to. And then we called fire and asked them, where can you get to within six minutes? And they, then they gave us this information here. At this point in time, this was from all the fire stations that we currently have, all five of them. What does a six minute response look like with the trucks just running full out, like they would do on a call? And that's the cover they could get to with that six minute range you can see there. And then we looked at the very next step with this, which is a very common thing you all see, which is the future land use plans. Um, Oh, it was a southeast area plan. That's the one I was forgetting. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes, yeah. see
0: the clicks there. Yeah. <laughs> so, talking about that, everybody. So, going going clockwise around the city, you have the northeast area plan up around twenty four forty. Southeast area plan, which is clearly in that kind of uh, hook there at K ten. The revised Southern plan, which is due south of Lawrence. West of K-10 plan, which is kind of just clearly west of K-10, and K-10 and Farmer's Turnpike, which is the slightly L-shaped one around the top there. And so we told it, we told everything, it's just, these are the residential areas, here's the densities they can go at. Again, you know, discounting some area because we need to know that roads are going to be necessary, drainage easements, things that we can't build on are going to need to be there to just enable that development. And so we asked it, okay. What does that all look like? What covers all the areas where we can provide utilities, fire services, and have land use planned out and studied for? And that's how tier two is developed. It is the layering of those items together that comes to a tier two area. This is where we've got all the things currently in place where we think we can go. Now, it doesn't mean we have to go to all these areas. It just says these are all the areas that meet those criteria that we've asked it to meet. So that's the kind of movement pattern for Tier 2's existence. It's about eight and a half square miles, if my memory is working correctly, if you just kind of total up the area and take a look at it. But it, it does, and Of course, this is, again, we always say with the model, it's a snapshot in time. So as new data comes in, as annexations occur, as plats come online and building permits are issued, it will change and it grows and evolves and, and can move through those different iterations of it. Um, we always take a look at it every so often to see if anything requires us to kind of go in there and, and do a really strong reboot of Liz. You know, do we need to go put it all the way back through the motions and retest it? Um, so far, we've we've not gotten to a point where we look like we need to retest everything. We're still also waiting on some census data to see how that would affect the way that it wants to work. But at the moment, it looks to be pretty strong still from where
4: it's at. And so yeah,
6: from- I, I have a question. Um. Uh, so you mentioned that the in-ground infrastructure is generally what goes first when you move into tier two and tier three, um, but um, have there been instances where you've seen streets or where the streets go in first before infrastructure?
0: Yes, and that, there are instances like that. I think a great one is you're seeing right now is the area at 6th Street and SLT where KDOT is doing some roadway improvements there as part of the expansion project. And so the streets are going in with the understanding that that infrastructure is going to need a place. So their MSO is designing for that infrastructure to follow up on top of it. So if there is the in-ground that needs to occur, they've got the right things in the right spots to enable it to go through. Um, You know, in in the world of engineering, it's always, you know, there's the preferred option and then there's the realistic option that occurs. They would always prefer to have the in-ground stuff completed before the surface level stuff is installed but sometimes that just it just doesn't work out but then they just make those plans to ensure that the in-ground is not hindered by the surface level so so um, it's not a it's not as common in subdivisions because in subdivisions you'll typically get all your in-ground work done first and then you'll come in and do because you'll need the streets to enable the construction but there might be a sixth um, SLT is a great example of that or anything related to kind of those larger projects with arterials, maybe instances where surface level occurs and then all of the in-ground is, is um, prepared so that when it is ready to go in, that's all kind of sitting ready to and be available as much as possible. And some hey, of the- Thank you. Oh, no problem and
4: so the balance of the,
0: the urban growth area that we had we again we applied two reductions to it we looked at the northeast area plan and reduced it based on that plan's guidance that was adopted by the three bodies and then we also went in and removed the floodways because both the county zoning code and the city zoning code would not allow development in floodways so those were excluded out of the future growth area for tier three so that's why you see a little bit of that kind of void where the rivers are at in those distances and then also a reduction in that northeast area so the balance was moved to tier three.
4: And so again, that is what the tiers look like when, you, when the model processes and comes out. And so one of the next questions we had to ask the thing was, well, that's nice, we've got land, but
0: what are we talking about in population? Because if there are populations growing more than we have land, then we need to have a different conversation with how we're doing it. And so the model ran through, and you can see that the numbers are all based in 2017 because I didn't. I, we have different estimates and projections going at all times, but this is the one that we tied to the model. When we looked back through the different things, and, and to Commissioner Carpenter's point on that one, we asked it very, you know, we had two very good questions at that point is, what is the residential lot inventory for the RS zoning districts, for, for lack of a better description, and then what is the RM zoning districts capacity that we had on the ground? And so when we put those two together and started looking at the estimated capacities. We realized we probably at this point had about three to five years of residential lot inventory, if I remember correctly. For RM zoning districts, there was about 21 years worth of capacity that was already approved and zoned, but not constructed in the state. And so when you put those numbers together and you calculate out their density, it was about 17,000 people that could be added inside the city limits of Lawrence just on zoning that we had in place today, or excuse me, had in place today. When you look at tier two and you start to push those numbers through the area, the model came back and told us there's probably, excuse me, there's, there's land and availability for probably about 18,000 people, 18,500 people in that expansion capacity. And so when we then did the very next thing is we back checked the model against what we've known for Lawrence's population growth for the last hundred years. And so we looked at the trends and kind of those, those marks moving backwards. So we got to a point of where it was estimating about 135,000 people were, were there in potential. And when it ran through that estimation program and it said, if I'm adding people at this rate in these locations, I run out of land in 2050, which is 10 years beyond plan 2040's time horizon. So by 2040, it was estimating, we would have a population of just under 123,000. people. Last July, and I'm in the middle of doing the one for this year at this moment, but last July, we estimated there was 104,000 people in the city of Lawrence. So the model is trending in, in that trajectory and
4: still meeting with our, our separate projection estimate that we use in-house. Here. So, again, just to kind of kind of rebring this back to where plan twenty four is in the language that
0: the Planning Commission tends to see is it's really the model looking to do a couple things. It's really is to make sure that we accommodate growth properly and correctly in the right spots. So it's working to kind of you know put that tension between we're going to have to grow. And there are people coming to the city but we wanna make sure that we protect and preserve that rural character. And so it's going through that motion and plan you can see in the policies and the guidance that that you all reviewed and adopted and recommended to the city and county commissions is we should prioritize infill development when possible. And when we do an annexation, you you look at those different factors for the public benefit question and it needs to demonstrate a need in the community. It needs to show there's also that community benefit. And then when you move into tier three, it moves into that next stage question of, and it needs to identify a specific community goal. And again, you all know this, and I think you remember me saying this many times over, those of you who had this into the first couple presentations of this, is this is one of the potential outcomes in the world. There's any number of things that can change. I think we've seen that in the last two years, and it's always open and flexible, and it's not, it's not carved in stone so as things evolve and change in the community and the economy and the ecology that we see in the area this plan is meant to move and flex with it so and as you know your one of your charges is to kind of make sure it is responding in the way the community is asking it to respond and maneuver so this is always a guiding document, but it's not always have to be set in stone. It doesn't have to carry for 20 years because there's no way we could predict
4: everything that would ever occur for 20 years time in a planet. So that is the key with it. Before I move on to the next topic, I'll, I'll
0: pause here. Any any questions or comments about the growth tiers and, and that portion?
6: Yes, I have a, a question um, about what we are to think about um, infrastructure that is moving into areas of tier three where there is no plan so in terms of community planning there is no um no none of no area plan it,
0: yeah there's going to always be infrastructure that's going to have to move in different areas you know i think one of the best examples i've seen in my career is you know sometimes you you build roads not to enable growth but to enable fire access and so you know, understanding what the roads are trying to do is sometimes just as important as making an assumption that, you know, yes, roads can enable development or growth in areas, but they can also enable access to portions of communities that are cut off or need fire access or have some expectations. So then you have that capacity that you have to kind of balance and look at. One of the great examples I think we have is the the Walker Roosan Treatment Plant. I mean, it sits outside of, you know, that kind of the main city limits, but it's there because it's, it's something that is needed. And it's, it's placed for something longer term than, than today. It's placed there for a, you know, the next 100 years. So the, the key, I think, when you have those conversations about infrastructure, where they go, is, is there is the essence of the moment, but you have to look at it in the next 50 to 100 years sometimes and understand what is, what is the dynamic that is pushing or having that conversation to go out there. So it is a balancing act of you know, do, do, what do we think is going to occur in association to it, but do we think it's going to occur in the time where it's appropriate, or do we think we have, excuse me, do we have the policies to make sure it occurs at the time it's appropriate, or do we think it's going to occur regardless of our policies be, be a, a uh, process issue we need to address today? I guess that's what I'm trying to, to say a low caffeinated state. This morning, but, um, so it, it's, it is a very dynamic and moving question. It, it depends on the projects and it depends on the need in the community, quite truthfully. And then the other side of that coin, I will also note is sometimes those things are not even driven by the, the city and the county governments. Those things can be driven by outside governments and agencies. And that, that's a hard thing to reconcile sometimes too, is, um, you know, KDOT, federal government, um, EPA, or excuse me, EPA, sorry, FEMA, Corps of Engineers, they might have different expectations of what they need to do with their facilities. And that's something that's beyond us. And so that might drive some of the things that, that we are not being proactive, we have to react to, and that's a different conversation sometimes.
6: Yeah. Would that include a, a project that I'm not sure we can talk about? Because <laughs> I don't know <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. All right. I wasn't sure. So it can take a
0: lot of different forms. Um, it can take a lot of different shapes on that one. And again, I just, you know, take down to remind the commission your, your charge is as a, a land use board in, in a lot of respects there. So you know, the one moment where you have equal footing to the governing bodies is in the terms of the comprehensive plan, and the plan amendments. So you you are stewards of that long range vision and that long range interpretation of plan 2040. So
4: that's why the, the state statute gives you that footing as the, the county commission, the city commission for that purpose. Thank you. Well, this is the part where we go into the state
0: statute, which involves me a lot less uh, talking about the plan.
2: But um, Jeff, Jeff, real quick, before you move on, the, the, the great thorough work around city of Lawrence. Does that same work exist to a greater or lesser degree for other incorporated areas in Douglas County, Eudora, Baldwin, LeCompton? Uh, Eudora has some because we've seen their
5: growth here has come up in some of our discussions, but I don't think Baldwin or LeCompton have any growth tiers yet.
0: No, LeCompton doesn't. and I don't think, I think Baldwin is getting their comp plan is getting to a point where they may be starting to address it, but they don't have one yet. But Eudora does have something kind of modeled very similar to Lawrence's growth tiers that they've just adopted about, probably about three years ago now, I think.
2: Very good, thank you. Um, So
0: to kind of introduce this one, this is something that we do from time to time, and I think you've all seen it at some point, but just to kind of give you an idea of how fast Lawrence grew, how rapidly it grew, This is a, this is a one second video. So what, (laughs) the English language and I are apparently not friends at all this spring. This is a video that will show the annexations in one second increments. So this will grow Lawrence from 1865 to 2015 in one second increments. So you'll see kind of how it grew out. And the road network you can see here is actually the road network today. So you can kind of have a sense of where you're at in the universe here. So I'll hit play on it, but it's, what you're going to see is a lot of stuff doesn't happen for quite a while. And Lawrence just kind of sits for a long time in its configuration. Then there's a moment where it just goes.
4: And so again, for every second in the video is a year. At the bottom right, you can see the year is counting up.
0: And we had to put the year counter in there because for this portion of the video, you wouldn't know if it was doing anything or not because Lawrence
4: didn't annex; It didn't change for quite a long time. And there is uh, Haskell University coming into the city limits. You start to see also some of the edges of KU is starting to come in. Not a lot occurred during the Great Depression, as we all might suspect. But just to give everyone a heads up, around 1948, you're going to want to keep an eye on the map. <laughs> right after the war, yeah. There's a little bit of a lull in the early 80s there. As you can see there, it, it, what it did was
0: every so often it would change the colors by the decade. So you can kind of see by what decade it was moving. That bright green is the early 1860s, 1870s as you move in there. As you get towards the edges, you start to notice you see the oranges and the reds of the 2000s and the 1990s. So to kind of give it a, the best way to describe it is as Lawrence's growth spurt really occurred around 1950 through 1980 that's why you saw that population increasing in such a dramatic race during that point in time, because there was a lot of land coming online very quickly. But that is the that's kind of Lawrence's chart of the annexation history at that point as you can see by colors. And so. That is always a conversation that we have with the comprehensive plan, but that is all governed under the state statutes. All of the annexation processes are governed by state statute. You will see it in the Land Development Code. You'll see a note to it in, in Article 1 of the Land Development Code that requires a rezoning be triggered upon an annexation or a movement to the UR zoning district if necessary. So there's a couple of different forms, but the two main forms that we talk about and you hear a lot about is what's called a unilateral annexation or a consent annexation. What you typically see when you see a petition that's been remanded from the city commission back to you is a consent annexation, which means the landowner has brought it forward for annexation and is bringing it into the city. Um, So I'm going to work in reverse order on this slide a little bit. So a consent annexation by city practice, if it is over 10 acres, the city commission receives it and then remands it to you for review and recommendation. That is not a requirement of code or state statute. That is just a practice the city commission has adopted. Um, and then you review and make a recommendation and the city commission can take that up for consideration. The current annexation policy that is in place was written around Horizon 2020 and adopted in July of 1996. That is currently under review by staff. We're working to look at that annexation policy and bring it up to date with Plan 2040, but also with the different things we know from the uh, water and wastewater plans that MSO has adopted and those other things that help guide that general development. So that work got slowed down quite a bit by COVID, but we're getting ready to get back to work and bring that up to speed. The other one on the top of the slide there is unilateral annexation. That is where the city goes out and annexes land. Under state statute, there's quite a few requirements and stipulations that cities have to do as part of that process part of it also includes that we have to go through and provide a infrastructure plan the timeline for how that plan will be developed and installed and the funding mechanisms for all that to occur and if that doesn't occur on the timeline that we note then it can be taken to the board of county commissioners and be annexed from the city so it's a very process heavy portion of the state statute that derives the way that annexations work and move in the city to give you an idea for, um, you know, the way that everything works for an annexation. In the case of a unilateral annexation, we estimate that it'll take about 220 days to work through a process of really the best part of a year um, for a consent annexation. They do move quicker if there's not an election going on. So about 170 days if there's not an election going on. If there is an election in that calendar year. State statute requires there be a pause, which then takes it to about 190 days typically. So you can there's a big difference in the way that everything was processed process on it, depending upon which portion of the annexation statute is engaged to bring something into the city. So it is it is really an instance of annexation is not in the control of the city or the county. It is really in the control of the state and the way that they structure it and set it up to be. And so. We just simply move through those policies as they, or excuse me, move through those codes as the policies go through. So when you look at it in terms of plan 2040, it does go back to annexation. It has that discussion about, you know, prioritizing infill development, but it is there to support the growth. You're gonna to have to do infill. You're gonna to have to have those conversations one thing you'll notice in the difference between the annexation policy of Horizon 2020 and its chapters versus what you see that you've incorporated in the plan 2040 is that it encourages a discussion about what is it in terms of the community? How is it responding, reacting, resolving in terms of the community? Horizon 2020 was written very much like a code, and it gave the impression to a lot of people that it was a code, but it wasn't necessarily something you could do. It was, it was at best the same as what this one is. It is a guidance document. It can be binding, but it's a guidance document. It is not the same as a land development code or the county zoning code. It can't compel things in the same way those codes can't compel. So what this does is we've kind of looked at it and had a very good conversation about making sure it encourages a discussion about what is in the community's interest. Where is the community wanting to go? What is the need that we have today? So that was all structured around an intent to just encourage that discussion, not just amongst the community, but also amongst the planning commissioners, the governing bodies and staff to make sure you know we're, we're looking at it and having very thoughtful discussions about what we're seeing, both, you know, statistically in the world, but also, you know, qualitatively. What are we saying? is not something we can measure, but something we can see and experience as part of it too. So of course, as you all know, is that the golden criteria don't apply to the annexations; uh, they apply to the zonings and special use permits and conditional use permits. So, in the case of this one, the annexation things are are can be a little different in the way that you look at them and view them in the world. And that's the way that structure in chapter two, maybe chapter three of Plan Twenty Forty is, is geared up to look at it. It has that in discussions about communities and the benefits and what is it doing and how does it fit our long-term vision of ourselves and that is all why it's enshrined in three in the way that it is and of course you all know this and i'm just going to retread some some stuff we've talked about many times over is you know the community benefit in there is something that says it may include a variety of things it doesn't have to be the things that are enumerated on the list
1: it is not an exhaustive list of benefits there um, but these are some of the ones that came up through both the issue action report, through the steering committee discussions, and
0: through your discussions. Uh, we kind of had those uh, initial phases when we had the early days of the plan. Say, these are the things that are, are valued by the community. When you look at the vision and the mission statement, and you look at all of the different input that we received, these were some of the bigger things that always came, came back to the surface. But this doesn't mean that this list is going to hold tight for 20 years. We might find a point where You know, we, we, you know, housing is fixed or we have all the park space that we need or whatever it is could happen in the world. We can't, we can't predict what will happen. So it's not inclusive or exhaustive. It's not exhaustive. Is just some of the ideas there. These can also speak to the city's strategic plan and, and, you know, what are those goals and the missions that the city commission is looking for and striving to meet as part of their discussion. So it can speak to a lot of different things. And that, is a end of that presentation for you. So, again, um, be happy to answer any questions. Um, always with been months, it's the time for discussion and dialogue for the commission. So, we, you know, vice chair would like to lead a discussion by all
2: means. All right. Thank you very much, Jeff. Um, <clears throat> I'll just go back to uh, members of the commission. I know we've been asking questions along the way. Um, but I'm curious to, but personally, I'm curious to learn from um, those folks, uh, Sharon and Jim, most notably, who've been around uh, the commission uh, for the longer amount of time, maybe seen some of these issues come through. Do you have any insights um, that you'd share with this group from your experience as you think about annexation, you think
4: about um, the topics we've discussed today? put you on the spot sorry about that
2: see Sharon thinking
4: (laughs) yeah
6: um well one of the things that that I've noticed and, and and Jim can certainly speak more to this is we we often when we're talking about things on the edge of uh tier one and tier two bump up against area plans Um, and the updating of those area plans. There's somewhat of a bottleneck there where a lot of the area plans um, have been delayed in terms of their update for many and varied reasons, uh, lack of staff being a big one to address those. And so we end up uh, with issues before us, requests before us, um, but yet we don't really have an updated guidance in the form of an area plan, uh, so that that's something that has uh, taken been under discussion. Um, so when that, in the last
2: when, year. when you run up against that, does mm-hmm. that does that cause you or cause some <clears throat> to say, "Hey, we need to wait for further guidance," or <clears throat> does that change the way we maybe go about getting to uh, you know getting something through the process? Mm-hmm.
6: Well, it depends on the commissioner. I mean, commissioners have been of um, several different minds about that. In some cases, yes, it has. Uh, we don't We want to wait uh, for an area plan. Um, there's been a couple cases where um, we haven't waited for an area plan. So it, it really has been sort of an individual um, mindset.
5: I had kind of the general rules well not rules Mm -hmm. but the trends that we've had is if we get a request to change the zoning from what is in the in the area plan that's not updated Uh, we've had very close votes and most of those have been put on hold until we can update the area plan if it's something that comes in that meets what the current area plan is those have gone through Um, We've seen a couple come in right in tier two where the annexation request happens. And if it's annexed, then it's not in the, now it's under city code and not in the area plans anymore. So we've had two of those come through. So if it's right there at the edge with city services and everything else, even if it looks like it's not what's in the area plan. Our votes have been basically in favor of the annexation, and then go on because now we're under the city code for for what applies for <clears throat> that zoning
2: district. Basically so moving past the question of the area plan, is that what that?
5: Well, it's it's only happened right at the edge where the infrastructure is <clears throat> there. Um, so that that seems to have been kind of an exception to where we been on changing what's or going against what's in the existing area plans until they're updated, if it's right there with an annexation request. Um, interesting, the, that last one we did where we had the discussion about community benefits and included land for a school, right? the Compton school district, that one's interesting because that's one of those that was put on hold because of the election. So there was, there was out in the general public. There was like, it's just gone away. They haven't gone forward. But it turns out when I talked to Jeff, that was the first I learned about the pause for the elections.
4: Uh, that was so it.
5: That's why it just came to the city commission um, last last week. And so past, yeah, past four to one, I think. But, but that we- also raised the issue of what a community benefit is right which so we is a... Had a, we had an interesting discussion about that and because that's not codified in the land development code yet it's pretty still pretty wishy-washy based on what our conversations were with plan 2040
2: they're pretty open to interpretation yeah can we can we click in a little bit uh back up a couple steps can we click in a little bit uh into the topic of what an area plan is for new people like me and and others that have just joined. What is an area plan? What does it mean to have a... a, a, When is a plan updated? And I don't mean necessarily on what day does it update, but what does it look like when a plan is updated versus one is not updated? What are the differences between those two things? Can we, uh, I don't know, Jeff, if that's a question for you, but if we can click into that a little bit. Sure, so...
0: If you look in plan 2040, they go under the name of the specific land use plan. They're all incorporated by reference into plan 2040. So you can lean into those as guidance documents. And that's the intent of them. Is they're their guidance that is more specific and directly applied to the areas that they're in question to. So where plan 2040 is a very broad, if you want to talk about it in, in terms of things, it's a 30,000 foot look at stuff. The specific land use plans are a more lower level 5,000 foot study and analysis and discussion that we have with those areas to understand what is the pressures, the needs, the, the any number of factors that go into those. Um, then during the about 2008 through 2010, that's when the planning staff was able to go around and get those area plans that you see today kind of bringing the city. Uh, that was one of the The things we were able to do when there was the recession in 2008, when the building permits and the projects were low, we went out and did a lot of that area planning in that area. We're right now doing the first updates to any of those plans uh, that we've ever been able to do. And so right now we have a team of planners who is working on the West of K-10 plan update, which is getting revised to the Western Development Area update plan. Um, And we also have a team of planners working on the East Lawrence neighborhood plan as part of it. So there hasn't really been one that's been updated in whole in, in whole since they were all adopted effectively at the time they were they were initially put in place. So when you look at them, you're going to see a lot of language and a lot of things that that call back to Horizon 2020 and the way that it wanted to move it, respond to the world and have those conversations. The way that we're looking at the ones today is to bring them, you know, have those conversations with the areas again, but then to connected to plan 2040 and that mission and vision and that view of what everybody kind of expressed in that 30,000 foot look to see is is that holding true in this area. Is there something else out here that we need to be cognizant to or respond to in a different way? So you haven't seen an update yet. Uh, We'll be hopefully seeing those as we get towards the end of the calendar year, if if the schedules all hold true but it's, they're there as incorporated reference plans inside of plan 2040. And that's what we used as kind of that basis point for both the analysis of the areas when we were doing our studies during plan 2040, but also kind of give you that, that more specific land use uh, policies and discussions that are related to those areas as you review them under that context. So as you look in the zoning reports or in a country, it's a plan amendment, you'll see staff make those motions and go through those plans with the analysis of, so, uh, just pick one out of 10 areas. If it has a residential office use, we would know the density of, of what that is. If it's 20-some people per acre is the expected density, but it's supposed to have a mixture of uses. You'll see us go through that review and iteration as part of the documents. Mm-hmm. And, um, kind of give you an idea of where we're going right now. The schedule we're working on in 22, as noted, is East Lawrence and west of K-10. In 23, we're hoping to move to the Hillcrest, Old West Lawrence, and Pinkney neighborhood plan. It's also known as the Hop plan, for those of you who read the planning acronym. Uh, we're also going out to do K-10 and Farmer's Turnpike as an update. And in 24, we're looking to do a... A neighborhood that has never had a neighborhood plan, as far as I'm aware, the Indian Hills neighborhood on the south side of Lawrence will have a planning effort. And then also we've been revising the revised Southern Development Plan, which is kind of right there along Iowa and Michigan at uh, SLT, for the lack of a better description for it. So those are all in the works at the moment, what we're thinking. But if calendars hold true, you should be seeing some, some new planning, new area plans coming your way soon.
5: Jeff, could you give a brief outline of the steps to create an area plan? Oh, boy. I mean, it doesn't have to be inclusive. Just, just all <laughs> the steps that you have to go through to make sure you have a plan that can even come to us to look at.
0: So every every plan I've ever worked on has had a different set of steps because every, every area is different. and has a different way that we work through it, but it always involves generally... Uh, we will go out for public input and we will, you know, have meetings to find out things and surveys and go talk to people to find out what's going on, what's in the area. Uh, things that are, we, we do know or we don't know or things that we may not, you know, what are, what are you concerned about in the future? It's not here yet, but you see it on the horizon. And so what we do is we take that input, we come back and we look at it and then we put it through the lens of plan 2040 and kind of say, how is this corresponding? Or are they? Is there? Is there? You know, the plan is doing this, and there's not. That's just not happening. we're, we're seeing something different out there, and so then we will do is we will typically draft a a well, this draft. Or we'll put something on paper and say, here's what we here's what we heard. Here's what we think it is. Here's what we got for the moment. Yes or no? Right or wrong? Tell us where we we're on point. We're off point on that one. We'll take it back to that community and have that discussion. And then when we take that input back and we revise it again, then we'll go back and probably do it a second or a third iteration, come back and say, here's what we've heard again. Here's where it's tailored to. And everybody thinks this is a good spot to go forward. And at that point, we will put be putting it through that stress test to make sure is it responding correctly to 2040 and responding correctly to what people are asking of it. So that can take a lot of different forms. And if there's not a part where... You know there's a misalignment between the two the community is asking for this and the area is asking for that you know is there a common ground is there a consensus point that we can get to it may not be what everybody would like to see but it is something that is workable for the neighbors the area the future of the area and then when we get to that point we would then bring it to you all for review and consideration and typically with the plans is you know you you would bring it for you to receive it to review it to hear the dialogue see the public input have the conversation and then as it starts to progress to go through it like a very much like a comprehensive plan amendment it would go to the planning commission first if you recommend it up we would then take it to the governing bodies if any one of the three makes a change the process starts over it comes all the way back to planning commission
5: so to the area plans is that like Is this actually an amendment to the comp plan? It requires an affirmative vote by all three commissions?
4: Yes. Okay.
5: We treat it and process
0: it exactly like that because they are referenced in. So we treat them like an amendment to it. So um, not too long ago, you all saw an amendment for, um, I think it was west of K-10 or K-10 of Farmers Turnpike. We processed a small change in the land use as
4: a comprehensive plan amendment. So this would be the same thing. It would be a comprehensive plan amendment just with a much larger scale to it. Yeah, I've, I've worked on probably a good dozen of these in my career and
0: the beginning and the ending the same, but all the steps in between fluctuates because every community needs, needs something a little different and there is no way to just have a
5: set course prescription for it because it's just, you just got to go and meet them. Yeah. Uh, those of you that, well, Sharon remembers it, but, and Aaron remembers it, but, um, plan 2040 went from us to the city commission to the county it went all the way around twice (laughs) because because of three paragraphs so um (laughs) it's and it takes a long time because of how agendas are set on the calendar yeah there, There's some things in state statute that requires your notice provisions for a comprehensive plan that
0: are elongated for township notices. And so there's a built-in, effectively a 20-day delay from process to move through that is by state statute that we go through. So, you know, depending upon how the deadlines fall, you can actually miss two months in there because of the 20-day delay that there's not a meeting or it falls in the wrong spot. And then just the way the calendars sync up can sometimes be a, be a bit of a trick.
5: And, and I note that those paragraphs where annexation and community benefit so (laughs) that will tell you where where a lot of the discussion is and where a lot of different ideas are coming into conflict so maybe some of those will be addressed with the update of the land development code for at least for the city part but but that's still not the county so you know (laughs) and those things can
0: can manifest in any number of ways along along the line so it's always it's a it's a moving, moving target. if you kind of put it in the timeline of it, Horizon 2020 was started in '92. It was adopted in '98, and then the land development code was revised in 2006. So there's there is a long rolling process as part of that when you go through it. And the, you know, the county code was going to be updated along with the land development code, but then it got through some different iterations, and it was only adopted three, four years ago, give or take a few. So, I mean, there's always a long iteration of that because you don't update a code until you update a plan. So the plan drives your code language and where you want it to go. And then that then drives down your processes. How do you do a subdivision, a site plan, those kind of things. So it's all, it's gonna start there and then work its way down. So the fact that we're already talking about Atlanta development code revision, just you know, November of 19 is when Verizon 2020 was retired and plan 2040 came on online effectively. So it was november december of 19 and we're now in 22 and we're seeing a code of it's, it's on a pretty good timetable in comparison to what we saw previously
5: well plan 2020 wasn't even adopted as a full plan it had empty chapters so chapter 13 environment took seven and a half years after plan 2020 was adopted until we had chapter 13. so yeah, we're we're way ahead of the game by doing everything at once with Plan 2040, and <laughs> already being at the de- land development code. Yeah, so. it, it's faster, but it's it feels slow. There's just there's no
0: way
4: to go about it. We'd like to have it yesterday, but it just. <laughs> Other questions,
2: topics, thoughts from the commissioners.
6: I have just one um, quick question just based on what Jeff was just talking about. Um, that's a, a little bit off topic, but you in terms of the land development code update, um, you mentioned um, a, a bit about the delay for, um, you know, because we're, we're adhering to notification requirements. Is that going to be part of the land development code discussion? Those that timeline of projects and notification will that be part of filtering down from 2040.
0: yeah it will be there are some things that are state statute driven for notifications okay. and things um, and different areas of requirements are in there but it doesn't mean you can't go you can't go less than that but sometimes you can go more than that but a good example is of, you know our code requires a 400 foot notice but most state statutes has a 200 foot notice at the minimum required so You can you can go through that. Really the the heart of the process in all of the land development code is is Article 13. Everything in Article 13 drives the applications and the steps that makes that you know staff looks at and goes, this is all the steps that have to occur before we can even get to something to to move. That is that is absolutely on the table for the, the code revision as part
4: of that process. The vice Chair, can we
5: possibly consider as part of future mid-month meetings updates on where we are with the land development code? Yeah, get feedback from this body as we move
2: along. Absolutely, I know we've had a conversation about that, Jim. I, I think that's a great. Uh, this is a great venue for that, um, and depending on how meaty the, the work is, I could see it, uh, taking a fair share of what we do on these uh, mid-month meetings. It's a, a great idea
5: seem much more appropriate here than at our regular meeting. If we're back to mid-months, I hope we stay with them.
4: Yeah.
5: (laughs) Just carve out a little part of it each time. Just where are we, any ideas from what you're hearing so we can get that fed back into the steering committee and all that.
2: Indeed, absolutely. uh, I've mentioned that already to the staff, and I'll continue to work with them to make sure we have that as a part of our agenda
4: for these calls, Jim. Thank you. Anything else from the commissioners? If not, um, Kyle,
2: Jeff, how do I uh, how do I close this out here? You, you say five, you can get the <laughs> <to you? laughs> Well, without objection from anyone, I'll uh, wish you all a, a great week um, and uh, ask us to adjourn. Point
1: of order, Point of order. <laughs> yes. Commissioner Rexwood, are you taking public comment?
2: We did not have public comment um, provided for in this mid-month meeting. Um, uh, I'm not going to change that on this one, but uh, I'd ask if that's something you think we should consider for future mid-month meetings.
1: You're asking me? Yes, I am. Oh, I'm always up for public comment. It's my <laughs> only
5: opportunity. We we've usually, we've, if people have show up, we usually listen to what they have to say. <laughs> Sure. No, nobody was ever coming to the mid months, but when they did, there was a good reason they were there. So yeah. we always listened to
2: what they had to say. I think that's. I think that's very reasonable. Which is? Is there? Did you have something specific you wanted to share this uh, with us today?
1: Well, mostly I had a question. If I could. Okay. When will the planning commission review of the county? Capital Improvement Plan and the City's Capital Improvement Plan
4: take place? Good question. The county does not submit theirs to the Planning Commission. The city would be submitting theirs, I believe, at their August
1: meeting at this point in time. And the county does not? Interesting. Okay, thank you.
4: That's not required by statute. That was just a practice. The city
0: does, I think, have a different statute that does compel it to come to the
4: planning commission. I don't know the county statute off the top of my head as, as intimately. Okay. Same so will be a discussion around what we're supposed to do with it again
5: this year. So,
0: yeah, and, and the state statute actually outlines the parameters and what your charge is. When you look at the CIP, it's, it's outlined in that statute by the state and it revolves around 2040 and in, in conformance with the comprehensive plan. For
4: I uh, that may not be the exact language in the statute, but it's effectively the conformance to the plan.
1: And if I may, I I did have a question about the density
4: discussion here today. Sure. Please ask. Um,
1: In the Plan 2040 development survey early on in the meeting, Jeff referred to one of the the indicators was increasing height and density in, quote, appropriate locations. It's a nice word. Um, further on in the meeting, then, you were talking about tier one and two growth of 17,400 population and 18,500 population. What is the assumption for density for that particular growth?
0: It's based on whatever the adopted land use was in the area. plan. I'm sorry. It's based on the adopted land use in those area plans. So if the area called for a high density residential and prescribed a density, that was the assumed density that was possible in that land okay. use plan. So it just depends on which land use plan, which future land use was applied to it and looks at it from that perspective.
1: Okay.
0: They're like, I think 30 different categories and I can't remember all the densities for each one, but I mean the one that stands out in my mind is um, high density residential is about 32 units per acre. If my- my brain is working right yeah. this morning and a residential office had a different density than single, or excuse me, low density residential had a different density and it had ranges inside of it. So the model would always assume highest possible when it would run through those iterations. So very low density residential had a different density It would run to that high number and then do that reduction for space you couldn't build on.
4: And
1: those density considerations, will they be part of the development code discussion? Density is driven by two different things
0: and it's driven by land use in some ways. So, you know, you can have densities that will range a little differently. Like most of them will give a range of seven to 15 dwelling units per acre in future land use. But when the code compels a density out, then it goes through the code. So RM32 is a great example of not more than 32 dwelling units per acre, biggest, highest density we have in the district. So the code would compel through zoning what that density is. So the question about height and density in appropriate locations is exactly the conversation that we were expecting to have as part of the development code update, because we don't know where that height and density is. We don't know is 32 low or high for the community and where they want it to be at. Do they want it to be higher than 32, You know, 50, 60? I have no idea. I'm just pulling numbers out of thin air, or is it too high? And do people want to bring it down? And that's that's the point of that caveat that there was that was a conversation for code to have because that. That's where it's going to be able to be driven by is that zoning district.
4: All right, thank
2: you. Wow. Great questions and discussion. Thank you all. Anything further? Let's uh, say we're adjourned. Have a great, great week. Thanks everyone. Thanks Jeff
6: and co-op Kyle. Very much appreciate all your hard work. Thank you. These are always very valuable. Very valuable. Thank you, everybody.